This podcast contains swearing, drinking, lame dad jokes, descriptions of gross body problems, and lots of history. Consider yourself warned. Want to build a car park over this king's dead body? to Monarchs and Malarkey, the podcast where we take an alcohol-laden dive into the weird and quirky health histories and deaths of leaders throughout time. I'm your host, Danielle. I'm your co-host, Mike. And I am your utterly exhausted, also co-host, Amanda. Or Panda. I started a new job this weekend, and I have to be there at 5 a.m. And I'm teaching classes early in the morning, so our asses have been thoroughly kicked. But we're still here for you. <laughs> no one should be anywhere at 5 a.m. It's so wrong to, like, go out when, you know, the sun is still down and it's nighttime and everyone else is asleep. It's wrong. <laughs> Bet there's no traffic on the way, though. No, there's no traffic because everyone else in the world is asleep. Yeah. Nobody should be up at 5 a.m. That's, that's the point of that. So. Yes, nobody should be up at 5 a.m. And yet, those of us who make delicious bakery things are and even people who make not so delicious bakery things well i mean it's worth it because the food there is amazing yeah i mean i used to work there too about 15 years ago it was really bloody exhausting and it's hard work and it gets hot in that kitchen but yes it does (laughs) but at least you are doing something you enjoy doing yep and i'm here i haven't abandoned you all Wait, you're one of those people who's actually using their degree in the field that they got it in? Why would I do that? (laughs) Shocking. I mean, why would I do that, Michael? (laughs) Shocking. Hey, I'm using it. Finally! Finally! After how many years? Like five. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) We are a bunch of grumpy assholes. All right. We're going to be berating Michael a lot in this episode, I can already tell. It's not nice. I'm going to try really hard not to. It's not his fault we have early jobs. Okay, so tonight we are talking about Richard III. We are going to be exploring, was he actually as crippled as Shakespeare made him out to be? Was he as evil as Shakespeare made him out to be? Did Shakespeare ever get anything right? (laughs) And uh, we'll also be looking a little bit at what happened just a few years ago with Richard III, but we don't have anything to drink for Richard III. We didn't actually take the time to go pick something out, so... We're drinking leftover things. We're drinking leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good. That happens some episodes, okay? Uh, Before we get deep into the world of Richard III, though, I'd like to give a shout-out and a recommendation for another podcast, Booze and Spirits. This is a podcast I came across on Twitter a while back, and Mike and I have listened to them oh, a few times now. We like to crank on some booze and spirits when we're doing the dishes or doing a bunch of cooking or stuff like that. They just kind of keep our spirits perky. So uh, Booze and Spirits is made up of the team of Bailey and Vanessa, and Bailey and Vanessa talk haunted happenings with a drunken twist. They, oh, they're drunkies like us! They are. They do really good drink pairings on each show. And I tell you what, some of their drink pairings sound so fancy, I'm, like, afraid to try them. 
Like, I will mess this up. We've done fancy but, things, like when we made that that really horrible wine into that really good sangria. Yeah, that was yummy. But this is, like, super particular. You do exactly this many ounces of this and exactly this many ounces of this, and you pour it in this order. And I'm just over here like, I can open a Guinness. So, <laughs> but, yeah, so Booze and Spirits, check them out. I'm starting to think that alcoholics just congregate around podcasts. Yep. We like uh, people who like alcohol like podcasts. I was gonna say just because you enjoy alcohol does not make you an alcoholic, so maybe let's not go that particular <laughs> route. But people who enjoy a good drink and enjoy entertainment for sure gather around podcasts, and here we are. So Richard the Third was born on October second, fourteen fifty two, in. Fortingay Castle. You're looking at me like I pronounced that wrong. No, no, we're actually impressed because you pronounced it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Yes. He had two brothers, Edward Four and George. He was named a Knight of the Garter and a Knight of the Bath, as well as Duke of Gloucester and Commissioner of R.A. I want to be a Lady of the Bath. Does that mean I can just, like, take hot... Epsom salt and bubble baths, like, every day. Oh, I do that now anyway. I mean, not really. I don't have time anymore. But if I'm a lady of the bath, does that mean I get an honorary giant bathtub and servants to prepare it? Yes, it has nothing to do with the fact that it's a place called bath. I know. That we've been to. I know. And we drank so the water So we went there. to the Roman baths in Bath. Yep. It tasted funny. The water does taste it's funny. Gross. That's why I didn't drink it this time. I just watched all of you suffer. Uh, it was gross. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they would want to drink that <laughs> because it had healing properties <laughs> right whatever <sighs> richard grew up in middleham castle and was a pupil of his cousin the earl of warwick also known as the kingmaker warwick warwick, warwick. oh no you were doing so well and you've been there darling it's warwick that's right You've also, we've also talked about it in other episodes up until this. Join us next time on Mike Mispronounces Everything. Which is, should just, we should just change the name of our podcast to that. Well, I mean, I've always held out that Game of Thrones actually should have been just made stupid fucking Starks making stupid fucking decisions. So I don't see why we can't change the podcast Mm -hmm. to Mike Mispronounces Everything. Yes. Yeah. At this castle, he met his friend and supporter Francis Lavelle and his future wife, Anne Neville. Who was his cousin? Who was his cousin? Gross! Yay! Those things always are so gross to me. <laughs> it should be pointed out that Edward IV, his brother, was the king who took the throne from Henry VI, who we covered in a previous episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, go back and listen. Richard became a veteran during the Battles of Barnet, where he was slightly wounded during the Battle of Tewkesbury, uh, and that is where he acted as constable and ordered the deaths of the Lancastrian leaders. This was during the War of the Roses. Richard and Anne married on July 12th, 1472. He then spent the next ten years becoming a great nobleman and... According to my source Britannica, they said that during this time, he was not expecting to be king. No, he had no interest in it. He had no... He This was, this isn't a guy who was like this power-hungry monster doing everything he could to take what was not his. That, that kind of came around 
because of this bullshit non-historian named William Shakespeare. <laughs> Which we'll get into in soon. Yep. Which we'll get into. His brother Edward IV died on in April of 1483. So Edward had two sons, and Richard was declared protector of the realm until Edward's son... Guess the name? Which one? There was Edward and there was Richard. Okay, you got both of them. <laughs> I was like, Michael really likes this game just because I know it pisses me off that they just use but the like, same names over and over. Look, Amanda, no Henry this time. About damn time. No Margaret. About damn time. <laughs> yeah, there will be more But a lot of Margarets Elizabeths. And Henrys. There'll always be a lot of Elizabeths. <laughs> so Richard was declared the protector of the realm until Edward V was old enough to rule. Richard then swore allegiance to his nephew. Uh, we don't know if this allegiance was sworn over some old sacred bones or not, though. I, I'm guessing no. Well, actually, he didn't keep his oath, so probably. However, the royal council, the Woodvilles, which was Edward's mother's family, wanted to crown Edward at once and make Richard's role null and void. In May, Richard seized Edward, dismissed the household, and placed the two boys under his custody in the Tower of London. Let's keep in mind here something about the Woodvilles. Up until Elizabeth Woodville married Edward IV, they were nobodies. And all of a sudden, their, their daughter slash uh, niece gets married to the King of England, and they get handed lots and lots of really important positions, really important power moves and a lot of the older nobles were really pissed off they didn't like it they didn't like the woodvilles they thought they were commoners they thought they shouldn't be in there so there was a lot of animosity there so keep that in mind the woodvilles are saying hey let's make edward king right now he's a child which so that translates into we want to be in charge of the entire goddamn kingdom yeah they were new money looking to take total power yep and he wasn't that old. He was, like, what, 12 at the time? Well, yeah, when they disappeared, they were 12 and 9. So he would have been easily manipulated by his family. Mm-hmm. Richard saw right through that and didn't want that to happen. So he took custody of them and was proclaimed protector. And then Edward IV's marriage was declared bigamous. Because? Because... Edward was formerly engaged to Lady Eleanor Butler, but he never married her. He... But the engagement was basically a promise to get married, so it was pretty important, almost sacred thing. And they had a couple babies. Right? I don't think they had any children. I don't think they had any children. I thought children. they had a child. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm tired. I don't remember coming across that. It's always possible. But Edward had broken his engagement to Elizabeth, or sorry, to Lady Eleanor and married Elizabeth Woodville instead. That was the basis for making the children non-legitimate. So on June 26th, Richard usurped the crown and declared his, and made his own claim to the throne. It also helped that he was backed by his own army that he brought down from the north, and he was declared king. He was crowned on July 6th, 1483, and the young princes 
Edward and Richard were never seen in public again. Dun dun dun! So what happened to the princes? Well, we don't know. It was alleged by Thomas More in the 16th century that the boys had been smothered to death by a friend of Richard's. So the boys were, like we said, 12 and 9 years old at the time they disappeared. And Thomas More claimed that this man, Tyrell, had smothered them to death. Thomas More, however, was trying to make a moral point and not necessarily write a historically accurate anything. So that's kind of something to keep with a grain of salt. But in 1674, Tower of London was being remodeled. And a couple of workmen dug up a wooden box that contained two small human skeletons. They had been buried 10 feet under a staircase leading to the chapel of the White Tower. And this fits in well with the story that Thomas More tells that claims James Tyrell buried them, quote, at the stair foot, meatly deep in the ground, under a great heap of stones, end quote. So this does fit in pretty well with that. They were, however, not the first children's skeletons to have ever been found within the tower. I was going to say, I would think that burying children in the Tower of London would be pretty rare. It is, but this was not the first time. So there were another set of bones found in the 18th century, and those bones... Moore claims that the bones that were found under the stairs were moved to a better place... And yet that doesn't really work because, again, they were found in 1674. So the bones eventually were placed in an urn and King Charles II ended up interring them at Westminster Abbey in the wall where Henry, in the Henry VII Lady Chapel. But other bones had been found in the 18th century. There had been a previous set of two, two sets of children's bones that had been found in an old chamber that had been walled up. So those also could have been the princes. I just think it's really gross and horrible that there were princes or bones or whatever of children found anyway, because, I mean, these are kids. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. It's super messed up. Kids have no interest in being asshole rulers, rarely anyway. Except for Joffrey, but he was fictional. (laughs) You know, a nine years old and 12 years old, with all this going on, their dad has just died, their family's being kind of pushed around by the other nobles. They're being locked up in this tower. That's the last thing on this poor kid's mind. So I think it's pretty obvious that they were indeed killed. I couldn't say one way or the other which set of bones are most likely to be theirs because they've both been reinterred and the United Kingdom has decided to just let them rest in peace. But the bones that were recovered out from under the stairs in 1933 were actually examined and they could detect that the children were the correct ages for the princes. They were found with chicken and other animal bones, which is pretty sad, but a lot of the bones were missing. A lot of teeth were missing. That was, so it was really hard to make any really conclusive evaluations of these bones. And there was actually quite a lot of flack for going over it because they went into it with this idea that they were the prince's. So they were just trying, they had that confirmation bias going on instead of going into it of, we don't know who these young men are. Let's see if we can figure out. They couldn't even figure out for sure if they were male or female. So take it with a grain of salt. Maybe the boys, maybe not. 
Maybe the other set was, maybe not. Don't really know. Um, St. George's Chapel in Windsor, when they were doing some work in the 18th century in the vaults of Edward IV and Queen Elizabeth, Woodville, they discovered a small adjoining vault that had coffins with two unidentified children. Nobody did any inspections or examinations, though, and... There is the tomb itself is inscribed with the names of two of Edward IV's children who had died quite young, but those two children were found in a different chapel, or a different part of the chapel. So maybe the bones in that little hidden vault were these boys, and that actually makes more sense to me. But my bad, it's okay. It's not you. It's the ghost. So who knows? Something happened to the boys. I, for one, do not think Richard III killed them or directly told anyone to kill them but this is one of those situations where there will never be any way to know so who do you think ordered it uh, i have a lot of theories i kind of i lean towards margaret beaufort having something to do with it and yes part of that is from the philippa gregory books and yes those are fictionalized accounts of this historical period but it makes a lot of sense she was super power hungry she had a son she was absolutely convinced God wanted on the throne. She was actively involved in this family. So I really, I, I believe that there's a good possibility she had something to do with it. Or possibly her husband, Lord Stanley, Earl Stanley, he did have a good bit of power. So after the children's disappearance and after Richard's crowning, he presented himself as a reformer committed to justice and morality who would remedy the misrule of his brother Edward IV and the sexual license of his brother's court. But, uh, but why? why did you get rid of the sexual license? Why? That's one of the great things about having power. I mean, sex is great. Why would you get rid of, of I don't know. I don't like that. that. Well, he was a prude. Richard III was a prude. Yeah. Well, and people who come out as a symbol of morality and take a stance against sex, you know they're, like, into harlots and probably have a P-tape hidden somewhere. Yeah, they're, they're like, they're secretly super into kinky stuff, which is fine. No kink shaming, but, you know, they Why take it away from the anyway. rest of us? I know, right? Yeah. Assholes. Yeah. But it's just funny to me. He's like, I'm going to reform and make things better. They all say that. And no one really ever did. Well, he didn't get enough of a chance to. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't around that long. But he was trying to make peace with the Woodvilles. He extended his protection to them and offered to provide for them if they would support his claim for the throne. And they accepted. They moved into the castle. He was taking care of them. And then they eventually fled and joined the opposition. He was also facing a propaganda campaign painting him as a baby killer and accused him of murdering his own nephews, which he couldn't produce the nephews to kind of discredit that. Yeah, I think it should. it's worth pointing out, too, that there are certain other young boys at this point in time who those bodies could be. So the... The line of the king, the Edward Edward V and his brother Richard, had a cousin who was quite young, who was also in line for the throne, technically speaking. his He goes by Teddy. He was the Duke of Gloucester at that point. Or, uh, I'm sorry, the Duke of 
I'm so tired. I think I want to say the Duke of York. Um, and there was also a, a young man who came along later who claimed to be Prince Richard, and he ended up being executed and found to allegedly be a fraud. So one of those bodies could be his. There are a lot of... This, this whole case, let's just put it this way. We don't know. That makes it intriguing and mysterious. And we've got a lot of nasty shenanigans that make us even more into this story. So I think now is probably a good time to let Amanda do her thing. Do my thing. And preach to us about the sins of Shakespeare. <laughs> Which makes me sad because you know how much of a Shakespeare lover I am. I but um, Richard III was probably... Shakespeare's least accurate historical portrayal of any character he ever did. So, little background, Richard III was written in 1593, which is almost exactly 100 years after Richard's death. So not too long, you know, 100 years is not really that long afterwards. It was Shakespeare's second longest play, his first being that of Hamlet. This is the play that starts with the famous Now is the Winter of Our Discontent. Everyone knows that line, even mm-hmm. if they don't know what it means. <laughs> but the first major wrong thing that Shakespeare got, which Danielle's going to talk with me about, is his physical description of Richard. Yes. So Richard is the character, depending on how familiar you are with Shakespeare, who is always portrayed as a very severe hunchback. Mm-hmm. Throughout the play, he uses many different terms to describe Richard, including runch- hunchback, unfinished, deformed, rudely stumped, ugly. He also calls him a child killer, murderer, usurper. Um, in Act 1, Scene 2, he he is called a lump of foul deformity. Ooh, Ooh that's good. Right? <laughs> it's good. It's a good insult. They often make references to his him having a huge hunch over his back having messed up really insane teeth. There are even hints that he was a monster who was born with a full set of teeth at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, all of I'm this... just trying to imagine, like, a baby with bull teeth. Creepy, yeah. right? <laughs> it's creepy. They, he's also mentioned as having a shriveled arm. Shriveled arm and, and a limp. And, a a limp. Limp. and, you know, if you see any productions of this... You know, different companies always portray things a little differently, but you usually see it portrayed as a very, very deformed older man. And the thing is, they usually portray him as older, where Richard was actually very young when he died. Yep. The thing is, is that this was so loosely based on reality of what Richard actually went like, and Danielle's actually going to first go in and tell us what Richard actually was like physically. Uh, spoiler alert, Richard III's body was discovered just a few years ago and disinterred and examined. And what they found was that, yes, he did in fact have scoliosis, but his scoliosis would not have given him the appearance Shakespeare wrote about. Not even close to it. His deg- The angle of his degree was between about 70 and 90 degrees, which is quite severe. It would have undergone most likely surgery and at least, at the very least, back braces were he alive today. But it was actually really well balanced. And so this would have just led to his right shoulder being up a little bit higher than his left shoulder. And he would not have had a hunch. The hunch usually actually doesn't come from scoliosis itself. Oftentimes a hunch comes from one of the vertebra being misformed. Uh, My son actually has this. And in his case, one of his vertebra is only half formed. I'm looking at the x-ray 
or the the photos of Richard's spine and while some of the vertebrae are twisted they are not malformed the vertebrae themselves so that just scratch that off your list he was not a hunchback his scoliosis is known as an idiopathic adolescent onset scoliosis so no he absolutely was not born in any way looking deformed any more than a newborn baby is anyway he developed this somewhere in his adolescence the reason for it's not entirely clear but there's probably some sort of a genetic component and as for the teeth and everything else there is nothing in his skeleton to indicate that he had any type of shriveled limb Mm -hmm. his legs were well formed and even he did not have any sort of hip dysplasia or anything else, any atrophy in one side or anything that would indicate he would walk with a severe limp of any type. And his teeth are immaculate. They look mm-hmm. better than mine do. They look amazing. When if you was... see like any portraits of him, even though most of his portraits were done years after his death, there's you don't see anything at all that would suggest any of this. No, none of this. And some of his teeth were missing when he was found, but that was not due to him having bad dental hygiene or anything like that. That was just due to normal things that happen when somebody's been buried for 600 years. Well, 500 years. A little over 500 years. So, in other words, Shakespeare was full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't really stop there being full of shit either. And I think that a lot of his portrayal physically is purposeful on Shakespeare's part because of what he does throughout the rest of the play. So in the play, within the first act, Richard is depicted killing Prince Edward, Henry VI, and then plotting to kill his brother Edward IV. And none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. First of all, Henry VI, he wasn't even in the same freaking country. Well, they were in the same freaking country. Or was he in Ireland? He was in Ireland at the time. Yeah. Weren't even in the same country when Henry VI has died. There is no evidence that he had anything to do with Prince Edward's death. No. Edward just got very ill, probably died of some sort of pneumonia-type infection. Mm -hmm. And he actually was extraordinarily loyal to his brother. Mm -hmm. Um, He got along with Edward very, very well. He performed as a really successful military commander during the War of the Roses for Edward. His loyalty was actually so intense that he was rewarded with the control of the North... And on Edward's death, he was considered the principal statesman of the realm. So he was the king of the north. He was the king of the north. Yeah. He was a Stark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing through a kazoo. <laughs> she like put the kazoo in her mouth and she would I was going to play Game of Thrones, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> you know nothing, Richard III. <laughs> and... He had no no sort of hostile relationship with Edward. The only person he kind of did was his brother George. Who was dead by this but point. But George was dead and Edward was the one who had ordered his execution. Yeah. Fun fact. George of York died in a, a vat of wine at his yeah. own request. He got put in a vat of wine and drowned. Which is just like... What a way to go. I mean, if you're going to go, you might as well enjoy the ride, I right? guess. Right? Drink a little bit and get see <laughs> before you drown I it. hope it was good wine. Right? It was probably really shitty wine. Do you think that they put him in there to balance his humors? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, he was accused of treason, so he probably thought his humors were like way <laughs> his off. His humors were super off. Um, <laughs> My humors are off. I'm going to have a drink about we're it. We're going to put you in something warm and dry. 
The, Fix your humors. The other thing that Shakespeare definitely portrays very incorrectly is something Danielle already and Mike already talked about was the death of Richard's two young nephews. Now, in the play, he has an entire scene where he is plotting their deaths, ordering their deaths to happen, and able for him, to enable him to usurp the throne. Yep. Now, that's probably very unlikely considering the fact his nephews had already been been called illegitimate. Mm-hmm. And he loved his nephews. They were Edward's sons, and he had a very close, loyal connection with Edward. So he I mean, probably had a very close connection with his nephews. I mean, one of them was even named after him. Yeah. yeah. And there was actually no evidence to any of these deaths that Shakespeare has him do in the play. Um, that and he a couple had, of them are just outright impossible. They're for just him literally, like Henry VI. It's literally impossible for him to have been a part of that. And. So that kind of begs the question, why was Shakespeare so inherently biased against Richard? Why did he have this horrible view and make him the most horrible villain, that, one of the most horrible villains he ever wrote? I know why. Why? And look at him, he doesn't know God Save the Queen. He's yeah, so exactly. confused. Why would God save the queen? It's because it was for the queen. That's the queen's hey. song. What she means is, <laughs> is at the time of 1593, Elizabeth I was on the throne. Now, Elizabeth's grandfather was... Uh, Henry, Henry Tudor. Tudor. Yeah. Well, Henry... You know I'm tired if I can't <laughs> pop that out right away. Elizabeth's grandfather was Henry Tudor, and Henry Tudor is the one who defeated Richard III yep. at the Battle of Bosworth Field. So when Shakespeare wrote a lot of these plays, depending on you know who was on the throne at the time, mostly it was Elizabeth, um, he had to make sure that he was pleasing the royalty so he could keep writing and keep doing what he was and doing. And not lose his head. And not lose his head. And the best way to do a play about Richard III was to make it look like he was an evil, awful man who deserved his fate. Yeah, because Shakespeare wrote a couple of plays where Elizabeth was like, eh-eh, no, no, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. It would have been Super very pissed. foolish to criticize Elizabeth's grandfather at the time. Mm-hmm. Um... Also, it's kind of another important note that Shakespeare's patrons, one of his patrons was Fernando Stanley, who was a direct descendant of Thomas Stanley, who famously switched alliance to Henry at Bosworth. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And so his patron would not like it if he talked about Richard in a good light, and Elizabeth would not have liked it. So it's quite possible that not only is the portrayal of him being this murderous child killer usurper, but that the deformities that he makes him have are a physical representation of this monster that he created. Yeah, it's very symbolic. It's very symbolic. And, And also, we need to remember that the Wars of the Roses... Ended very shortly before Elizabeth took the throne. They had not even been a hundred years old yet. Mm-hmm. So there was still a very tenuous grasp on the throne. There was still a, a faction of people who could easily have been like, you don't actually have a right to this throne under your family. So yeah, we have to keep Elizabeth happy and not and not give the, the peasant population a single inkling that perhaps the Yorkists should be the ones on the throne. And it's one of those things where you have to make, it makes you feel kind of bad for Richard that the number one way he's now remembered 
is through Shakespeare's play because, I mean, that man went through a lot of horrible stuff and was really not a bad guy and not a bad king. And, you know, he grew up and his brother was killed and his dad was killed and then his other brother was killed and he had to take over the throne even though he didn't really want it and all these other things. And instead he's portrayed as this horrible Machiavelli villain. And then bad shit happens to him on a very personal level as time goes on. Mm Mm-hmm. So, if you ever see a production of Richard III or read it for an English class or whatever, just remember how insanely incorrect Shakespeare was in the entirety of this play. It is basically a complete work of fiction. Yeah. So, we're coming near the end of Richard III's reign, and the Woodvilles had escaped and had joined the opposition, uh, which was... Henry Tudor, and he was going to be proclaimed king through the Beaufort line. Not through the Beaufort line. Yeah, his mother was a Beaufort, and his father was a Tudor. It so was through the Tudor line. It was through the Tudor line that those through that he was going to be proclaimed, proclaimed king through there. Yeah, he was able to fire, able to hire a bunch of French and Scottish mercenaries to fight. On his side. Which, I think it's funny because, yay Scots, let's go kill some Englishmen. Okay, lads, let's do it. Right? That's probably like all the incentive that both of those parties needed. Hey, you want to go kill some English? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we do. Scots never turn down the opportunity to kill some Englishmen. (laughs) And the two kings fought each other at the Battle of Bobsworth Field. Bobsworth Field. I think when she's more tired, she uses the kazoo more. No, I just have a harder time figuring out when to use it. (laughs) Okay, so, Bosworth Field. In in August of 1485, everything came to a head. Richard was really suffering. He did not have very many friends, and he had just had a bunch of tragedy hit him in the last year. His son, his own son, had died from a sudden illness. Now, his son had been a rather sickly child, but this rapid onset of illness that killed him, I think it was the sweating sickness, but I haven't done a lot of super deep research into it. But then, just a short while after that, his wife died too. She basically went to bed and died of a broken heart, which is a real thing, by the way. And uh, and so poor Richard is just left completely alone. He has a lot of people who don't like him, He's got a big battle coming up with Henry Tudor, and he's not even really actually sure if people are going to show up and fight for him. So, he's supposed to have the Dukes of Norfolk and Northumberland on his side, and the Earl of Stanley has not come to his aid yet, nor has his brother. In retaliation, Richard took Stanley's son, Lord Strange, as hostage. Total relation to Doctor Strange. No, no. No relation to Doctor Strange. I think it was Doctor Strange's great, 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 grandfather. Maybe it was Doctor Strange. I mean, he did have the time stone. Right? Maybe it was Doctor... Well, no, he didn't have the time stone. He wouldn't have been a... Yes, he did. I thought he had the reality stone. He used the time stone. I thought he had the reality stone. He literally reverses time in his his movie. Whatever. But no, because Doctor Strange wouldn't be a pussy and not choose sides. He wouldn't have allowed himself to be captured. That's true. All right. That's true. So, anyway, whatever the case may be, he knew that if he didn't destroy Henry Tudor in this battle, that 
then things were going to go horribly awry and he would most definitely end up dead. So he also had up against him the fact that Henry Tudor had made an agreement to marry Elizabeth, the daughter of Edward IV. And so the houses of York and Lancaster are going to get united and there's a really strong claim to the throne through that. So he's he's fucked. Yeah. In the melee on the initial stage of the battle, the Duke of Norfolk was Norfolk was killed, and then his son Surrey extricated himself. So there goes a few people. <laughs> The battle's going on, and Richard decides, here's a good idea. I see Henry's standard over there, so I'm going to go after it, and if Henry's over there, I'm just going to kill him. Like, really, that was his only option. That was, yeah. and But it was really unusual. Kings didn't really do that. So he took his personal bodyguard, and he added a bunch of people to it. He grabbed his constable of the tower. He grabbed a couple of friends. He even grabbed his secretary put armor on him, and they all rode out together. He also had Stanley with him at his flank, which was probably a really stupid idea. Actually, it was a really stupid idea. And part of this, why it was a really stupid idea, is he realizes if Stanley's decided he's on the other side and not mine, his flank absolutely could take us out. (laughs) So he charges in anyway, and he was actually getting pretty close when Sir John Cheney blocked his path and... Richard struck struck him down with his axe, but then at that moment, a large mass of men on Stanley's side attacked the flank. So that was it. His his little tiny bodyguard flank force was completely overwhelmed. His tiny little bodyguard force. <laughs> yep. They were completely overwhelmed, and Richard was left to hack it out on his own, but he couldn't. He couldn't handle that many people at once. So actually, Richard's the one who gets hacked down. Now, there are a couple of different ways that the story is told. The one most often told is that he falls to the ground. He yells, treason, treason, to Northumberland, who had left him to his fate, as he's being just absolutely butchered. And after he's been butchered, he gets stripped naked. He's carried to the Greyfriars Church. And he's he lays in state for the next few days. They keep him naked so people can see all the wounds. And, oh well, and he was dead. The king is dead. Long live the new king, Henry Tudor. He was buried there at Greyfriars. And then he just dis- disappeared. There was a tomb built eventually for him, but he was not in it. It was said that at one point his body had been dug up and carried to the ocean and thrown into the ocean. I find that kind of hard to believe because Leicester Cathedral there, where where it was, Greyfriars, is literally in the middle of England. Like, smack dab in the middle. So, that's a really long way to carry some bones to throw them in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they were just, like, really dedicated. Maybe, but that would be really strange. But we know that's not the case because two groups, the Looking for Richard Project and the Richard... Th- Three Society, got together and received permission to do an archaeological excavation at the former Greyfriars Church, which is now Leicester Cathedral. Their first day out there, they found the body, which is really unusual and really super cool. Now, keep in mind, it's not like they were like, we're just going to go out to this random place and start digging and hope we find something. They had 
pretty good maps from back then, uh, prints of where the, the old church used to be. They had gone out and done a little bit of testing in the area to see what the boundaries would have been and things like that. So they they didn't go in blind, is what so I'm saying. So they thought further ahead about it than I would have. Oh, yeah, for you sure. You don't think ahead about anything. Yeah. I would have just gone out there with a shovel and Randomly some sandwiches. Randomly started digging holes. Yeah. Pretty much. No. All right. So, really cool stuff. When they first found this particular body, the instant they saw it, they got really excited. Now, keep in mind, they do need to keep that confirmation bias out of the picture. But the first thing they noticed was that the spine was malformed. And that this body had been beaten to hell and back. Those are pretty two big dead giveaways. Those are pretty big giveaways. It's the right place. Uh, the depth shows them it's the right time period. And the damage to the body and the structure of the body tells them this may be it. So it should be noted they did find several other bodies. This is not the only one there. This is just the one that was the super <gasps> exciting moment. So... Did you literally do that? I did, because I wish I was there. This would have been so awesome. So I'm going to Put tell you... Put that shit on your resume. Oh my god, you wouldn't even need to. Your name in the archaeological world is now forever, like, elevated to a whole new level, so... Bitches, I found R3. Right? What do you got? <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to describe the 11 wounds that were found on the skeleton itself. There's no way to know what other wounds were suffered because soft tissue wounds disappeared into the ground long, 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 long ago. So uh, some of these would have had soft tissue wounds as well, but there may have been a lot of soft tissue wounds that could have been what killed him. And we just, we won't know. So let's start with the skull. Up on the top of the skull, there are several different sharp wounds from some sort of a blade. It has literally clipped the top of rear of the skull several times it has shaved off a layer of the bone leaving little circular depressions in it there's one great big one up on the uh left side kind of um so if you put your hand back there and you feel that really bony protrusion at the bottom of your skull and you go up a couple of inches that's where this particular wound is pretty gnarly it's a perfect oval shape and then there are a couple other little ones around it there is a small penetrating wound on the very top of his skull. It looks like it might have made by some sort of a round dagger because it goes in and then the flaps of bone on the underside kind of push out uh, inwards a little bit. Kind of cool looking if you're into that, which I am. There is an enormous hole underneath the back of the skull. Somebody took a blade so sharp it literally cut the entire bone off from that portion of the skull. Ow. Yeah, this is a big injury this is i i don't want to give a measurement when i'm looking at it just at this angle but this is a few inches it, it cut a good few inches off that would have been fatal absolutely would have been fatal there is also a wound on the left side of the skull where it's a really jagged hole uh, some sort of ablated weapon has cut through the bone here too and there's a mark opposite the wound in inside the skull so that means the blade penetrated a depth of probably about 10 and a half to 11 centimeters and that also would have been fatal. That's really cool that they can tell that from the bone damage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Osteology is such a really super cool, understated and misunderstood field of, of schooling. I love it. So there's also a laceration on the lower mandible, a.k.a. your lower jaw. 
and it's at the bottom, kind of right at the bottom of the jawbone. And this looks like just a blade has sliced. There's a hole with a slicing mark around it on the, I don't want to say it's exactly on the cheek. It's right between the cheek and the upper jaw. And this is something else where it looks like some sort of a smaller weapon, like a dagger, maybe. There is a tool mark on the right mandible, aka lower jaw, and it's right on the hinge where you open and shut down towards the bottom there. And it's got some really interesting striations. It was obviously some sort of a sharp weapon, but it didn't leave a very big mark. So kind of more of a glancing blow, I would say. There was a cut on the on one of his right ribs from some sort of a blade. And then, and this is the one that's more like a, this was probably done after he was dead as an act of humiliation. There is a large chunk of the inner part of his pelvis that has been cut off. And we can see that this was obviously done right at the time or about the time of death because it looks very spongy compared to the smoother bone all around it. Now your bone is kind of spongy anyway, but if you look at it, if you want to take a peek here, it just looks like a sponge. Yeah. Do you see that? It's very... It looks like, like coral reef. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the rest of it looks like just sand across a beach. You've got this very reefy, spongy material going on right there. So the this is the hard part. This is really bad. So this was done by something very sharp. And this weapon was thrust from behind. This went through his, his the right side of his butt and <laughs> penetrated through his body. And this is the kind of thing that would be really hard to, conflict, to, to inflict it during a battle because of his armor. That's why it's almost certain that this happened after he died. Several of these could have happened after he died. What we do know by looking at them is that these were all fresh wounds that happened around the time of death, perimortem. And we know that because there's literally no sign whatsoever of healing. But they're also very obviously not wounds that were made long time after he was dead. Because the bone would look different if, if that was the case. So those are the wounds he suffered. How did he die exactly? Well, like I said, it's, who knows? It could have been the blows to the head. It's most likely that those that that's what killed him. And halberds were most likely the weapons that caused a couple of those fatal wounds. So if you haven't seen one of those, you might want to look it up. They're kind of cool looking. They've got like these long pointy blades at the end of a big stick kind of thing. So that was a very scientific explanation. I don't do weapons. I just... <laughs> it's like an axe and a spear got married and had a baby. Yeah. Well, kind of. Yeah. Well, except more like a sword and a spear. I don't know. Anyway. So after they had done the skeletal analysis, they also did do mitochondrial DNA. Mitochondrial DNA, just a, a reminder, is what gets passed down through the mother line. The mitochondrial DNA from his sister Anne's descendants would match his. So they were able to find two of her descendants, did the testing, and sure enough, the mDNA did match. Interestingly enough, the Y DNA that both of these uh, descendants should have had through her line did not match the family genealogy. So somewhere along those lines. Someone got busy with someone they shouldn't have. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So shocking. Color me shocked. <laughs> so interesting little tidbit. After the body was found and after they 
confirmed it was, in fact, Richard. There was a lot of controversy about where to bury him. Part of the deal with Leicester Cathedral was that they had permission to reinter the body after all of this got done, and they actually spent £1.3 million to build a really nice, beautiful tomb for these bones. That's a lot of money. That's like a good $1.6 million almost in American dollars. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So That's more than you'd spend on me if I died. Oh, yeah. She it's... would... She would never spend close to that much money if you died. I, I would. She's, I love you. She'd I spend would. like $10. I, I pay the crematorium fees oh. and buy a nice urn. Come on. You're getting cremated? A box cremated? from Payless Shoes? I mean... Well, yeah, she just needs it to transport it to the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland to dump your ashes there. I know. They don't let you do that anymore. They'll ban you. They don't have to see you do they it do. if you're they sneaky have enough. everywhere. You can't. Fine, we'll, we'll dump them off everywhere. Splash Mountain. Or I could just take him to London and, like, throw him off of the cliffs, White Cliffs of Dover or something symbolic like that. I don't know. No, anyway. we'll do it at Stonehenge so you can poke them yes. for all eternity. You want to be buried at Stonehenge? Well, what I want done... <laughs> oh, no. We're like, we don't care what you want. <laughs> what do you want done? Uh, I want to be turned into one of those trees. Have my ashes mixed in with the roots of one of those trees? You're and have such a hippie. I was thinking if you died before me, I'd do the thing where I have your ashes turned into tattoo ink. Oh, that's creepy. I love it. That's creepy. Yeah, well. No. <laughs> I'd have you with me forever. But if we I take die. his ashes to Stonehenge, you can poke them for all eternity and no one can stop you. It's true. That's important. Plant me as a tree at Stonehenge. I'd probably get eaten by one of the sheep there. Yeah, probably. For the, for our listeners who are so confused right now, Michael had this thing where he desperately wanted to poke Stonehenge. It wasn't just Michael. It was no, me it and was Michael. You, it's true. And my son. They all wanted to poke Stonehenge. She wouldn't let us. I kept explaining you can't go in there and poke it. And so they came up with this idea that they would do it with a big stick. King Arthur stick. And I don't then, know why it's King Arthur's stick. It just is. And then when we got there, they saw that I was right, and there's not really a stick to be had. So they were all very disappointed. Yeah, there wasn't a long enough stick. <laughs> we just wanted to poke it. <laughs> anyway, so there was the, this big controversy because Leicester Cathedral wanted the body back, but then descendants and Yorkists wanted the bones to be returned to York, where he was from. And then there were other societies who were like, well, we want... To, to bury them at Westminster Abbey, like most of the royals have been. That just seems like the right thing to do. And at one point, Her Royal Majesty Elizabeth II was consulted to see if they could have the permission to do a royal burial, and she was just like, no. <laughs> so, nah. Nah. That was her response. Nah. Yes, a very royal no. Yeah, I would have to be like really fancy now. Be yes. Like, no. Oh, we think no. So... Uh, in the long run, it was taken to court. There was like a year-long court battle, and the court decided basically there is no precedence for this kind of thing, and you made an agreement when you went to dig up the bones that that Leicester Cathedral gets them back, so they get them back. And that's where they are today. They're in a very beautiful tomb there. They were reinterred on the 26th of March, 2015. And I just cannot wait to get there because there is... A sign out in the car park now, because I, I forgot to mention, the area where they found him is now a car park, or at that point, anyway, was a car park with, for our American listeners, that is a, a parking, parking lot. Garage. A parking, parking lot. lot, yeah. Yeah. 
So, uh, and one of the reasons I really want to get there is because their new car park has a sign up. I don't know if this is true. I need someone who lives there in the UK to go check for me. There's supposed to be a sign up that says, Parking for visitors only. No burying of dead monarchs, please. But why not? I don't know, but I love it. I love it so much. I we want should, one. We should get a sign like that, man. I want one so bad. So I want to put one out where we park. Why I love would it. you not want a dead monarch bark buried in your yard, though? And I mean, well, we wouldn't park on top of it. No, it's okay in the yard, just not in the car park. Yeah, but but I mean, what if it was that or nothing? Wouldn't you still choose that to have a dead monarch buried on? Oh, your well, property? yeah, for sure. Yeah. Then I mean, I'd start parking somewhere else. Yes. Uh, the site, also a year after they found Richard's body, they started excavating the Grave Friars Friary, where the friars used to live and where he would have initially been taken. So that's been a pretty cool archaeological dig. If you like that kind of thing, you might want to look into that. They did find several other bodies, including a noble woman. They're not sure who she is, but it was obvious by her what was left of her clothing and accoutrement that she was some sort of elevated woman. So, uh, yeah, that's the story of Richard III. And, and how s- much Shakespeare totally screwed up his how story. How much he screwed it up. Also, how the English for once actually found missing bones. And actually found too many missing bones and can't <laughs> identify all of them. You had one job. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. there's that. And uh, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Thanks for sticking with us in all our exhaustion and cattiness. <laughs> we are, I am... <laughs> I gotta tell you what, I I am catty lately, and it's just because I'm so tired. Same. And I same. know eventually I'll get used to the schedule, but, like, I started, like, four days ago. So. Yeah. So, uh, I think that about wraps it up for us. Yeah? Okay. Find us on the social medias. Twitter is at Monarch Malarkey. And you can also find us on Instagram. You can either search Monarchs and Malarkey or just our username, Monolarkey. You can find us on Facebook at Monarchs and Malarkey and join our discussion group, Monarchs and Malarkey Peasants Revolt. Woohoo! We're not sure what we're revolting about, but, but we know that we're revolting. I had someone say, wait a minute, isn't Danielle the queen of Monarchs and Malarkey, so are we revolting against her? And I was like, oh no, please don't. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> if you revolt against her, you will be punished. No, I will just sit down and gently discuss that I can be a monarch who also believes in sociology. I mean, who also believes in socialism. Yeah. That was the word she was looking for. We're going to go take a nap now. We're going to go take naps now. Thank you, Mark Gelter, for the artwork and Jay Gelter for the music. And see you on the flip side, peasants.